It's Thursday, November 12th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill with me today from the financial capital of the United States of America. It's Maria Gallagher. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Earnings season continues to roll on, but first, we're going to talk about Alibaba, the Chinese e commerce giant. Shares up a bit in the wake of Singles Day. And for those unfamiliar, Singles Day is November 11th, and it is the biggest shopping day of the year. It is Black Friday and Cyber Monday combined, and then like double that because Alibaba did $75 billion in sales for Singles Day. It's a little hard for me to wrap my head around that. Yeah, it's pretty wild. So it started in 2009, um, Singles Day as a holiday. It's November 11th, 1111, so four singles in a row. And so that started in the mid 90s. And then in 2009, Alibaba kind of commercialized it, created the first Singles Day shopping experience. The gross merchandise volume in 2009 was 7.8 million. And like you said, Chris, this year it was um, $75 billion. So it has grown exponentially. Um, the foreign brands, which I think is interesting, was a big focus this year. There, The U.S. was the top-selling country by gross merchandise volume. So over $5 billion of that total, almost $75 billion, came from the from the U.S. And so many people had no problem spending money. I think there was kind of an idea that people would be a little bit more stringent this year, but that definitely wasn't the case. And I will say it's important to note that this year they kind of spread it out. It wasn't just this one day. It started promotions on November 1st. So there is more time, but still, even with a week and a half, that is a lot of money to pull in. It's bigger than Black Friday and Cyber Monday combined. Yeah, thank you for adding that um, very important asterisk. Because for anyone who has been following this, you, you know we've seen it tick up year over year. This is a massive leap from what we saw in 2019. So um, I don't know if they looked at what Amazon has been doing the last couple of years with Prime Day and saying, oh, it's actually spread out over more than 24 hours. That seems like a good idea. Um, wherever they got the the idea, it was uh, it was a smart move by them. It, yeah, what's interesting to see, I mean, the stock is up a little bit today. I know that Alibaba is dealing with some regulatory issues. Uh, the stock is up about twenty percent year to date, and you can you can look at that and compare it to what we've seen with Amazon in twenty twenty, uh, along with Walmart and Target and that sort of thing. This is a seven hundred twenty billion dollar company. I mean, this is this is a massive entity. So. Twenty uh, percent growth when you're that big—it um, it should never be discounted. Yeah, it's impressive growth. It has consistently impressive growth. But like you mentioned, there are some new regulations. The Chinese regulators just released the draft of their antitrust rules. So it's the first publication that is identifying those policies in terms of things like pricing, payment methods, use of data. So investors are a little bit nervous with the type of government that China has, that the ability to kind of tamp down on those antitrust will be a little bit more intense than we might see here in the US. So I think that is an important thing to note when you're thinking about investing in Chinese companies, especially massive Chinese companies like Alibaba or JD or Tencent. Um, their government has a lot more control and a lot more potential to hurt them in the long run if they want want to. Yeah, they move quickly. 
Uh, you know, for, for people in the United States who, who look at the wheels of federal government in the United States and think, boy, it, I mean, it's, they, are they getting anything done in Washington, D.C.? It sure moves slowly. It's like, well, there's a way to move quickly. <laughs> and, and China's a good example of that. Um, let's move on to Wix.com. Shares falling about 6% today. Uh, this is the website creator. The loss for the third quarter was biz- bigger than expected. Um, the revenue looked good, though. Yeah, so the revenue was up 29% to $254.2 million. Creative subscription revenue was up 23%. Business solutions revenue was up 60%. So there was a, a little bit of a hit to the gross margin because that business solutions revenue is lower margin and is becoming a bigger part of their overall revenue. And I think something to note that's really interesting is that this new cohort is actually spending more than previous cohorts. So they're getting more new customers and those customers are continuing to spend more. So both of those are really good indicators for the long-term growth of Wix and for that potential for some of those free users to become paid users and then what those paid users are in fact paying for the platform. I think that's really important because you know, as someone who has um, never started his own personal website and probably never will, uh, you know, I look at Squarespace, Wix.com. I look at these businesses, and one of my thoughts as an investor is, well, how big is the market? Like, how many people are going to start websites? And, uh, you know, as you indicated, you know, that move into sort of the more business side, the less individual consumer and the more business side, I mean, that's, that's got to be a key driver for them going forward. Yeah, and I think it also kind of indicates the difference in people's consumption habits. So, I would find it hard to believe that somebody would want to start a store without an online presence these days. And so I think that that shift is more and more pronounced, especially now it's being even more accelerated. It's not really possible to exist in this economy without an online presence. And so it's now sometimes people would say, oh, I'm old school. I don't even have a website. That's not really an option anymore. And so I think that that will keep propelling Wix forward as well as Shopify, Squarespace, some of those other companies. I don't know about you, but it's now surprising to me when I run into a situation where I'm looking up, whether it's a a store I've heard about, a restaurant, something like that. I do a quick Google search, and they don't have a website. They have, you know, maybe a a page on Facebook, but they don't have their own website. It's always sort of a a double take situation for me. Yeah, it's that, and then if a company, if I go to a restaurant or something and they're cash only, I am like, okay, well, where's the nearest ATM? Because I. Almost never have cash on me. When you look at the stock, I mean, unlike Alibaba, shares of Wix have basically doubled this year. So we're seeing a pullback today. But I mean, this has been a great run for anyone who owns this stock. Do you do you look at something like this? The market cap around fourteen billion, fifteen billion, something like that. Do you think uh, this presents an opportunity to just get shares at a cheaper price, or do you think yeah, this is still kind of a richly valued stock? So it is definitely richly valued, but I do think that the long-term potential for Wix is really strong. And they also have kind of a differentiation where they look at those smaller to middle-sized companies as opposed to Shopify looks at those like larger enterprise companies. And if you look at Shopify as an indication, you can see all of the different optionality that can potentially exist for Wix. And I, I think the management team is really strong, and I think that they have really big growth potential. Like if you look at Shopify is 115 billion. So even just compared to 
its largest, but definitely still in a, a slightly attainable goal. Um, I think it's a possibility that it will continue to do really well. I like the company. We're going to wrap up today with Edgewell Personal Care, which is uh, one of those companies where nobody is familiar with the name of the parent company, but everyone is familiar with the brands underneath it. Uh, as the name indicates, uh, this is a business that has a, a number of brands in the categories of things like shaving and grooming and skincare. So, Schick razors, Edge Gel, uh, Hawaiian Tropic, Banana Boat Sunscreen, those types of things. They wrapped up their fiscal year pretty nicely. Uh, fourth quarter revenue was higher than expected. They bumped up their guidance for 2021, although I will point out that the guidance they gave for 2021 was essentially growth of mid-single digits, which isn't really lighting the world on fire. But but shares of Edgewell Personal Care are up more than 8% today. Yeah, it's interesting. Like you said, they own Schick, Edge, uh, Skintimate, Banana Boat, Playtex is one that I didn't realize they owned. Um, and so they had stronger than expected earnings, but I will say sales still fell. So it was better than expected, but it wasn't uh, you know, a blowout quarter by any means. Sales fell to $488 million from $528 million a year ago. Uh, they're their areas of strength were wet shave and sun care. Um, they're trying to work on expansion. They have a, a lot of savings programs. It's kind of a company that is big enough that you know some of the brands, but it's not a Procter & Gamble. It doesn't have Gillette. Gillette has 47% of the shaving market. And so they don't even come close to that. So they kind of exist in this unprofitable, smaller space that sometimes is profitable, sometimes isn't. Um, but it's not uh, by any means a blowout company that I think has like really expansive potential. For anyone wondering about the ambient noise, as I pointed out at the at the start of the show, uh, Maria's in New York City. Uh, it's it's not a quiet place. Um, so th- this is interesting to me because um, I'm reminded of a couple of things. One of which is Under Armour, which I've talked about plenty of times on this show, and saying you know the 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 weirdly intriguing thing as a as an Under Armour shareholder to me is that. Arguably, the toughest part of the business, they got that right. They make good products. They've just managed to screw up every other part of their business. Uh, in the case of Edgewell Personal Care, they make these products. They they are known. Um, there is some brand affinity there. I mean, uh, and, and also these are, on the surface anyway, these appear to be high margin products that they're making. Um, uh, you know, for whatever people shell out for sunscreen, um, I can't imagine it costs a lot of money to make a bottle of Hawaiian Tropic or Banana Boat. Um, when we talk about, um, uh, in glowing terms, about businesses that have the quote-unquote razor and blade model, this is a company that sells <laughs> the blades. Uh, so I. I I'm wondering if, in the next year or two, we're going to see maybe an activist investor get involved here, because the stock's up a little bit today. It's down 50% over the last five years. And I, I, I don't know what they're doing wrong, but they're, they're making products that people need. There is demand for everything they're making. Uh, again, these are, these are known brands. So, I, I don't know. Like what, what are they doing wrong here, Maria? 
So I think it's kind of interesting because when you look at these brands, I don't think they exist in places that have a ton of loyalty and in the places they don't have a lot of innovation, right? So people might have loyalty to Dollar Shave Club or Harry's Razors, but I wouldn't say that they'll necessarily have it to some of those other places that they have. And so I think that they their brands are pretty interchangeable. And so that doesn't have the loyalty that some other brands or some of these other bigger conglomerates might have in terms of even like shampoo. If Procter & Gamble has Head & Shoulders and L'Oreal has Tresemme, things like that, those have some more loyal customers. Whereas I'll just buy the cheapest sunscreen because I just assume it works. And so I think it would be interesting if activist investors come in because i think that that's something they need to do is they either need to invest in making their brands more interesting so that people want and um, feel that loyalty to the brand or they need to get some new brands in their arsenal that do that because i don't think they have any right now well and you mentioned harry's razors um in doing a little digging around this morning, I was reminded of the fact, I'd forgotten this, that Edgewell tried to buy Harry's uh, early in 2019. They um, made a, a bid for Harry's for something like $1.4 billion, I think, and uh, and it got blocked uh, by the Federal Trade Commission. I, I, I don't know if maybe they should um, get rid of one of their other razor brands, whether it's uh, Wilkinson Sword or uh, which I maybe there's some popularity there in Europe that I'm I'm not aware of. Um, it's certainly a brand that goes back a long time, so maybe there is. But whether it's that or Schick Razor, I don't know. Uh, I I would think very seriously about shedding some of those brands and making another run at Harry's. I also think it must have been a real bummer for them because Unilever was able to buy the Dollar Shave Club in 2016, but they got blocked from buying Harry's. And I just feel like they were probably pretty annoyed about that. Yeah. Do you have any idea how much smaller we are than Unilever? <laughs> Come on. Yeah. The other thing I thought of was just the the uh, and I, I you know I, I I probably shouldn't say this because I I don't know the people running Edgewell. I you know they they may be uh, very competent and smart people, but I, I did think, again, just looking at it on the surface, how is this company not doing at least, you know, how are they not even treading water as a stock? You know, down 50% over the last five years is, is really something in this environment. I thought of the uh, one of my favorite lines from the movie Wall Street, where uh, Gordon Gecko is all steamed at, at, at some Executive of a of a company that he's involved with, and and he and he speaks, screams at one of his assistants like, "What is this guy doing? Like, you know, he's brain dead. If this guy owned a funeral home, nobody would die." <laughs> and that's sort of how I feel about Edgewell. Like, what what are they doing? Like, these are things everybody needs. And by the way, in ten years, everybody is still going to be buying sunscreen and razors. Yeah, I've never seen the movie, but I agree. <laughs> Maria. Always good talking to you. Thanks for being here. Thanks so much for having me. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Monday. Monday.